and welcome to Parents on Pictures podcast. I'm Damien. And I'm Andy. And what we do each and every week is we take a, uh, a film from uh, either Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, streaming services like that. And then we uh, watch them come in here and talk a great deal about them. Now, this week, we've got a really special guest with us. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Sam. I'm a big film fan and uh, looking forward to discuss uh, what we've been watching this week. And anybody who remembers uh, our previous episode, we've had Sam on before, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you back. Thank you very much for returning. I'm glad you enjoyed it enough to come back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Anytime. Now, this week or this episode, we have Ready Player One, and it goes a little bit like this. In the year 2045, the real world is a harsh place. The only time Wade Watts truly feels alive is when he escapes the Oasis, an immersive virtual universe where most of humanity spend their days. In the Oasis, you can go anywhere, do anything, be anyone. The only limits are your own imaginations. The Oasis was created by the brilliant and eccentric James Halliday, who left his immense fortune and total control of the Oasis to the winner of a three-part contest he designed to find a worthy heir. When Wade conquers the first challenge of the reality-bending treasure hunt, he and his friends, aka the High Five, are hurled into a fantastical universe of discovery and danger to save the Oasis. So, we all saw this, some of us more recently than others. We did. So, this was my pick, um, and it was recommended to me by some students. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher. I teach film studies and media studies. And one of my year 11 film studies students recommended this to me. And it's been on my Amazon Prime watch list for six months. And I just have not got around to watching it. And I figured that now we're in lockdown and I've got an abundance of time that it would be a good one to watch and a good one to review as well. Because it's not something that I would typically pick because I'm not a huge fan of the sci-fi genre. Um, and I don't feel like I am the primary audience of this film. So I figured it was a good one for us to, to explore on here as well. Um, the, the film's directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, which, you know, the guy's a freaking master. So I'm, I'm <laughs> it's whatever he touches turns to gold. So I'm, I'm quite happy in that sense, you know, so before I watched it, um, and I did a bit of research beforehand, I was based on a book and all this, and it's a book um, aimed at young adults. So, it, you know, I, I figured it would be an interesting one. Yeah, whereas I, on the other hand, I'm a huge fan of this type of genre, love science fiction. It is by far and large the probably the number one type of uh, film that I would go and seek out. Uh, I will watch sci-fi literally from tiny budgets of, say, five million all the way up to this, which I think had a budget of $175 million. Yeah, then had something crazy like $150 million for marketing, which is insane for a film. But did you see what it took in the box office? Did it take, I think I saw just over half a billion or something like that worldwide? Just over half a billion worthwhile. Worldwide, sorry. This film made a fortune. Yeah. When yeah. you consider that it's based on a book, it's not like one of your big Marvel superhero type of franchises. Because obviously these, <laughs> these days, we're used to Marvel 
getting a billion on mm-hmm. a lot of its films. Not all, but a lot of its films. I'm thinking, obviously, uh, Avengers, um, yeah. pretty much all the Avengers. And then you've got um, uh, Captain Marvel made over a billion, Black Panther made over a billion. So they're getting good at it. But this is a standalone. And whilst it has a following, because as Andy said, it's based on a book, I don't know how big that following actually is to make this type of a film. But what I really like, out of the three of us, Sam, you can probably kind of shine a light to this, because I think mm. out of us, you're the only one to have read this book. Yeah, I, um, I, had, I, I remember being in, in Waterstones um, and just looking at browsing the titles and just seeing seeing the the picture on the front cover saw and thought intriguing i like the name so it sounds like i might you know might be something i'd be interested in same similar to to damien i'm a uh, certainly a sci-fi nerd so i typically gravitate towards stuff gaming nerd and um yeah proceeded to sit down and read a big chunk of that before uh, feeling like guilty enough to actually buy the book um, but yeah, so so yes, yeah, so I I had read the the book, and it, this was probably going back um, a couple of years before it. Uh, then there was talk of it becoming a film, and it was one of those ones where you kind of think, how are they going to do that? Um, it is almost unfilmable um, from the perspective of just picking up the book and think and translating that, and 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 I think. As we'll probably get into, there are maybe some, there are maybe themes, and there may be things that they've adapted that were better for screen, things that they've left behind. But certainly, I think it was a a really big success. I think as a, it's interesting because it definitely would fit into the young adult category, but also it's got that kind of thing of, I think people often will read books. If you're into fiction, you'll typically will read things that remind you of maybe when you were a young adult so i think there was probably a there's probably a different cross sections of of demographics that would be like oh i you know i remember liking video games when i was younger this speaks to me or because there's loads of 80s references yeah the 80s is my decade this speaks to me so yeah um i've I've, um hopefully can bring a bit of insight from from the novel as well as the film Mm. And I think you've, you've, you've kind of touched on something there because when I initially heard that this was a young adult type adaptation, um, my mind instantly goes to things like Twilight and the Divergent series and all that stuff. Now, we probably, <laughs> hopefully, will never cover those films. Not because I won't if they should come up, because yes, of course I will, but those are the types of young adult films that I watch. And I personally am bored mm-hmm. absolutely out of my mind. Same. Bearing in mind, I'm not the target audience. I get that. I'm not a young adult anymore. But it, I, I was hoping that this wouldn't translate through to this. And I think what Spielberg does really well in the majority, if not all of his films, is that he whilst he might be targeting it for a specific audience, he is able to bring through a sense of adventure regardless of your age. And I think you're right, Sam, when you said that there's a lot of culture or pop culture references from when we were children. Um, Because is this an 80s book or was it many, many years ago? Is it more recent than that? No, no, it's very, it is very recent. So it is more the fact that it's kind of like a, the, the, the author, 
you know wearing his kind of influences on his sleeve and being like i love this stuff so i'm just going to make a book where i can indulge and i can just talk about all the stuff that i love from the 80s video games music tv film all that stuff and that's that's my understanding of it in the book are those intertextual references are they named so for instance there's a moment in one of the battle scenes where i noticed the halo soldiers running past now master chief are they named as the halo warriors whatever you call them in in the book i i think probably what they've done is they've probably maybe broadened some of the references for the films okay. so like actually because there are things that like for example yes showing a uh, i don't know master chief like that's for most people who are in that kind of video game culture even if you're not into halo that instantly is recognisable. I was literally just re-watching some bits earlier and there was a bit of a start where there was a character that his avatar was um, one of the, uh, uh, a, uh, an infantry grunt or a character from Starcraft. And I love that game. And I was like, yeah, oh, no, I know that, I know that. <laughs> um, but in, in the book, it's just that, but it's just text, it's textual. So some of it is a little bit like it will be referencing a load of uh, 80s Japanese anime that you've never seen, but it's almost like it's a list of fine wines. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of treating it like this is, you know, this is real quality. Um, so a lot of it is, is just kind of thrown, it's thrown in there um, in the same way that visually it's put on there. But um, probably I'd say some of the, the references are maybe, for me, some of them were more obscure. And so there was it's kind of interesting to maybe put down the book and then just go and like go on Google and just search up and just see what the, the different references were at some points. I think most of the references within the film were fairly mainstream because I'm not a, I'm not an avid gamer. I do like to my console, but I don't I'm not an avid gamer. No. Um, and in terms of I got, I think, most of those intertextual references within within the film. Um, you know, we start off and we see King Kong, we see Godzilla, we see the DeLorean. Uh, Don't the miss DeLorean. the DeLorean. DeLorean. <laughs> um, at, at one point, we see um, uh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Jurassic Park. Mm. A little nod from Spielberg there to Jurassic yeah. Park. So you see all of these things, and and I think that for me, that was a lot of fun. Um, the soundtrack when they're talking about the Breakfast Club, mm. stuff like that. That was a lot think of fun. Sorry. And if and it almost makes you think if it wasn't if it wasn't Spielberg, then how on earth would you get someone to be able to tie together all those licenses and all those things? Because yeah. you, you'd have to have you almost think anyone else, any kind of shred of doubt that this would be a success or would at least be really well crafted they would not have been able to get all that tied together or as much of it at least the first thing i did after film being the uh the nerd that i am and 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 wanting to understand the background of film one of the things we teach is all about um the structure of film companies and licensing and how that works and stuff and that was my first thing at the end of the film i got straight onto google and i googled all the intertextual references i could think of and who owns that who owns that intellectual property and what i was i thought they would all come out as being all warner brothers um who produced the the um uh, ready player one and and i just thought it wasn't you know there's a whole gamut of um uh, production companies owning this so you're absolutely right that those companies would have to have trust within Spielberg to make sure that, that he's not misusing their intellectual property there I think that's a really interesting um interesting yeah. element of 
it because yeah you would never see that much um external stuff with, within a within a a single yeah. film. I agree. Yeah. I don't. I don't think this film gets made without Spielberg for exactly the reason that you just said. It's like because we know how protective of IP these companies are. Yeah. Because for a lot of them, I mean, let's just take the Master Chief from Halo as a classic example. That is Xbox Microsoft's flagship mm -hmm. character. He is the number one when it comes to selling the Xbox. Back in the day, it is the only reason I bought an Xbox. It was wow. either Xbox or PlayStation 2, and it was the Halo franchise that pushed me towards the Xbox. And that's still much the case today because it's an Xbox, Xbox exclusive. So just using that as an example, I don't think this film gets made without Spielberg. Nobody mm. would trust anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about, um, we talk about narrative and, and, and what happens in the film, but I, I think that there's so much to talk about visually within this film. So I would say as a ballpark that two thirds of this film are computer generated graphics. Um, it's like you're watching a video game in motion. Um, and that's a very unique thing for me. I think, you know, we've seen Avatar and we've seen other things like this, but this wasn't um, CG, this wasn't a CG film. This was CG to look like a video game in a film. Yeah. And it was almost like that, that postmodern perspective mm. of I'm watching a video game be played in front of me. And, and you know, it, I, I love that. I thought that was really cool. And I thought they did that in a really classy way as well. But I also think that it, um, it allowed for a very specific style in the sense that we've, we've seen a lot of CGI in film recently try to replicate reality. Mm -hmm. So classic examples at this point would be uh, Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One um, and well the grand admiral throughout the entirety of that film uh, but then you've also got like the de-aging of characters in the marvel cinematic universe so cgi is being pushed so far that it's trying to look like reality but this film it, because it is done in such a style and it's not trying to be realistic yeah i actually give this or, or for that specific reason i give it a a, a a big pass because what I hate, even though I love sci-fi, I hate relying on CGI to tell the story. Otherwise, I'd go and watch something like Toy Story. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see, you know, a Pixar um, animation. I want to see a film. But because this is crucial to the storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, not any point did I feel that I was being let down because I'm just seeing a bunch of pixels on the screen. I think it's the, the uncanny valley, isn't it? When mm. you're watching something and your brain just goes, no, 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 I cannot accept this. And, and almost, I think, I think that's why I like to take like, like Pixar, for example, that's why a lot of their stuff works so well is because they just skew it off on purpose. And, and you know, yeah, of course these people don't look really like people, but mm. I can, I, I, I know what you're going for. And, and, and I felt the same. I was, I was watching, yeah, I was watching the um, the 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 race sequence, and I was just right thinking in my head, this this whole, yeah, this whole thing is 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 CG, but it it felt like it did actually have gravity, and I think that that's the thing that I think is always the critique of 
of when CG is done badly is especially when it's human, when it's people or characters, is that when they don't seem to, they don't seem to be behaving to the, the same laws of physics as yeah. a normal human would. Um, but actually, because this was kind of like a bit more uh, stylized and video game, yeah, those cars just crumpling up and exploding and everything like that, yeah, that's what they do in a video game. That's fine. That's what King Kong does if he's in a video game and he's smashing cars. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. I Visually, I, I think this film is, is, is brilliant. Um, in terms of the, the it was just quite a dark film in terms of the, the, the actual color palette is very dark, but it's highlighted with these real vibrant video game-esque colors. And I think that that was really smart in, in terms of doing that because it, I, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's, it, it's, all, it's not about trying to make it look real, it's trying to make it look like a video game, but it doesn't mm. look like a cheap video game. It looks like a triple A video oh, yeah. game. And that's the real beauty of it because it, it looks like a video game that I want to play. You know, I sat watching this film going, I want that. This VR is amazing. Like, <laughs> give that to me right now. Because, you know, I don't know if you guys have tried VR. Um, Not anything expensive, I'll tell you that, no. But, you know, and I've, I've tried bits and pieces, and it's great, you know. It's wonderful technology, but it's not a patch on what's in this film. And, you know, one day in our lifetimes, we are likely to have that level of virtual reality. I can't wait. It sounds so, it looks so exciting. I mm. completely agree. I would probably be one of those that would plug in for a very, very long time, you know, if I didn't have work commitments and what have you. Um, because just going to the story very quickly, one of the things that they pointed out is that there are people who spend almost their entire life, up to this point anyway, plugged into this game um, because they're so obsessed with it uh, in a very comical um, kind of, I suppose, uh, cutscene. You see a, a gentleman who his avatar is killed in the Oasis, and you learn that if your avatar dies, you lose everything that you've ever collected in the Oasis. And um, he rips his heads off and tries to jump out the window of his office building, and someone has to tackle him to the ground. So that's kind of how seriously these people mm. are taking this game. Just, which just... I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, that would have just been a flight of complete fiction but when right. you actually look at how people get involved with their games today and it's nowhere near as advanced as that it's like this is actually incredibly believable you've got people who spend thousands of pounds in game on items that don't exist and you've got people who are addicted to yeah. the, the games that they play i'm not criticizing by the way because i love my games do not go looking at how many hours i've played things like fallout or anything like that at all because you will be horrified well i um when you talk about in-game um purchases i read a thing the other day about a young lad who managed to get hold of his mum's credit card and he was playing fifa and so fifa the video game you can now i don't play fifa or anything like that but for instance I, the call of duty the latest call of duty game you can pay to upgrade your characters and get uh, different weapons and bits and pieces that and the other within a game that you've already paid 60 quid for yeah so, you know these in-game purchases are everywhere now and so the film is just taking that to the next level mm -hmm. isn't it and but it's not so far-fetched that it's unbelievable absolutely yeah and i I think um, I think there's something interesting because I think the the film the film maybe has uh, takes some more comedy edge on some of these things, whereas the book 
there is maybe it draws into more of the darker elements of the fact that you know the reason that people are living in this this world is because the real world is terrible mm. um, it's all everyone is suffering poverty they're living in these you know the, these stacks of trailer parks and um and, in, and certainly in the book it's it's really kind of highlighted that yeah the the, the the oasis is um, is somewhere that they, you can go, and not only can you escape, but you can better yourself, and you can and 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 you can uh, you know become the person you want to be. And I think it's, it's quite interesting because uh, certainly throughout my lifetime, there have been multiple kind of backlashes against um, kind of video games, video game culture, video game violence, and things like that. And um, and often what people might and I, I think i might have heard um john romero who was one of the creators of doom says in the real world that it's terrible for them should not have an escape we're saying that you know that someone you know shouldn't be able to find solace in you know creating a character in a game and and you know and, and achieving something um and 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 i guess that there's part of me that i could see you know some i i guess when you look at sort of the the element of the the, the character that creates the oasis and what he's aiming to do and kind of his kind of altruistic nature and making it free to everyone there's part of me that goes yeah as a as a gamer as someone that's into this stuff I agree it's a tool that can be used for something positive in a really dark world we, we already kind of have the oasis though in terms of um online groups like um world of warcraft or second life or you know these these online groups and it made me think when i was watching it i don't know if any either of you've watched um the american version of the office um dwight Schrute. i i am i am currently uh binging it on uh i think it's on amazon prime <laughs> actually because it was recommended to me by you uh, uh, but no up until that point i'd only seen the english oh. It's my favorite thing, but one of the characters there, Dwight Schrute, he has a character in Second Life who is exactly like his real world character. <laughs> but then he has a Second Life within Second Life who is his like more abstract, you know, what he would rather be. And so it's that weird situation where his, his actual avatar is him, but then his next avatar is, is not what's, you know. So these things do exist. And, you know, there was a, again, when, when I teach um, about regulation and gaming regulation, um, I always come back to the news story about a couple in um, South Korea whose child died because they were so into their online gaming platforms. I can't remember the game they were playing, um, but they would spend you know, 23 hours a day on this thing. And as a result, their child died of malnutrition. And it's, you know, it's a really sad story but we're already seeing elements of this and that don't get me wrong that is very extreme very extreme yeah but it happened or yeah. at least the media told me it did i don't i wasn't there but you know <laughs> but you know we, we're headed in that direction where people are spending more time online i've noticed in 10 years of teaching that kids spend more time talking to each other through video games and online than they do socializing in real life they arrange at school what time they'll all be online together and they play the game together. Now they argue with me, you know, I'm an old man compared to them. And I say, well, why don't you guys meet up at the park and do, you know, blah, blah. and they go, we are socializing. We're just socializing online. And actually it is the new norm. Yeah. And is there anything wrong with that? You know, from, from our perspective where we did hang out in the park and we did go out, we do don't see it as normal, but 
they do see it as normal. Yeah, but the, this, you know, that, that's, it's the natural progression of time because back when we were children, this technology simply wasn't available. Whereas these days, it's not only available, it's relatively inexpensive as well because you don't have to go and buy uh, 60 to 80 pound video games to socialize. You can do that for free through a lot of things. Um, but before we go down that path, because believe you me, with the three of us, we could do for a long, long, long time. Yeah, right. I'm going to steer this back to the film. Um, no, no, I, I, the only reason I'm doing it now is because I find this topic fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and I could speak about it for or speak to it for a long time. Um, so we, in terms of the, the story itself, then um, we'll come back to I think we'll, we'll come back to the, the visuals, because I think as we go, we're going to unpack more of the visuals because there's so much to it. I mean, the style is yeah. very much the same throughout. But what you're actually seeing at each point. Amazing. Um, but one of my main sort of critiques with regards to the overall thing was that, and, and you, you said about it in the book is it's, it's very dark and in the film, obviously they do have their, um, their centers. I watched the film an hour ago and I forgot what those centers are called where people go um, and they have to work off their debts because people are getting into debt using the Oasis through um, IOI. And they're setting up these centers where you go and work for them and you basically spend your life working off their debt. So you've got that. And then you've got people in the slums, these high rise, um, not even buildings, just, you know, shacks on top of each other. But there was something about it for me that I couldn't buy into in terms of how dirty and dingy and horrible this existence was that would make you want to spend all that time in the oasis. Don't get me wrong, living in a, you know, a shack in, in a slum, no picnic, but at no point did that beyond a slight visual translate across Mm -hmm. to me as, as, as an individual. And I think some of that was down to the fact that the story spends so much time focusing on other elements that you kind of just have to accept that the real world is absolutely dire. And I mm. really wish that they actually spent a bit more time setting up some of the characters in their real existence so that we got a feel for exactly how bad it was in real world. Yeah. Let's just mm. talk about the opening for a moment, Damien, mm. because I know that one of the things you hate and you say it's lazy storytelling is when they give you all that information at the beginning. Yep. They did exactly this. And as soon as they started doing it, I was going, Damien's going to hate this. And you know uh, what? <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> I, I found the narrative to be the weakest part of yeah. this film. Um, for me, it felt like a cross between... Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and Twilight in terms of its storytelling. I didn't love the characters. I didn't love the story. I just didn't, uh, you know, we've got a quest and there's three keys and we're gonna, I knew exactly what was coming at every turn and there, there was nothing of, at no point other than visually did I go, wow. Mm. I was like, mm, I was expecting that. And I think again, the the what i would probably say to that is that reading the book there are probably things that you can do better with a novel than you can with a mm -hmm. film or maybe things you can do different and i think to both your points i think the book does a good job of showing the nastiness of the real world and going into a bit more detail on that i also think um there are some great things in in 
the the book where it's just focusing on Wade as a character and what he's doing and it does take him down a further few rungs in terms of where he is in the social standing I think when you know we we like to kind of identify sort of with the the kind of the hero and have a bit of swagger Um, in the book he is literally a absolute nobody he has nothing going for him but it plays into the plot perfectly kind of spoiler alert um, in the book the only way you can access the first key or the first challenge to get to the first key is by going through the school planet, so to speak, which everyone can get to for free, but no one's looking there because they've all leveled up their characters and they're going to all these wonderful uh, worlds. But him, because he is nothing and he has nothing, he has basically a basic sword and a basic shield. And if he loses, like he's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. really back to zero because of that he actually is close enough to the ground to actually find it. And it's like such an exhilarating feeling, but also what I really like from that perspective, and I didn't get it so much from the film is when you as the, you as the the viewer are thinking, I I identify with that like 100% that if I go into that world, that's me. I'm not going to make any excuses. I am going to be the guy that has no skills, that has no equipment. Um, because that's who I am right now if I get thrown into that world it's a bit like the whole Harry Potter you know yeah yeah do you know I've been thrown into this world of wizarding and I don't know anything that's exactly the same as what Harry Potter is going through is that I am going through as the reader and I'm exploring it and learning it with him whereas I think Wade is just a little bit too cool for school in the film to really get on board with that in the the book it's more like he knows all this nerdy stuff about 80s culture because he absolutely adores Halliday who made the Oasis and that's kind of that translates across in the film but in the book that's literally all he has and it turns out that actually all that time he spent was worthwhile because now he's ahead of everyone that has their, their level 100 weapons or whatever you see that yeah that's more satisfying for me it totally I, is. yeah i think the biggest problem for me and i've just just kind of um i think i've just put my, my finger on it for, for me personally was the fact that the film because of spielberg's style it's way too polished mm-hmm. Like where the film needs to be dirty and grungy and grimy, it's not because it's a polished Spielberg production. Um, and so I actually think that that kind of falters a little mm-hmm. because this world, the real world, shouldn't be polished by any means. It's like even, you know, the dirty, grimy um, existence that they have, the clothes that they're wearing, they're not new, but they're mm. clean. Um the, the the place that they're at it doesn't feel lived in it feels like a stage production it does because it's polished and you're right i think you, you you're absolutely right sam when you said that wade in the film albeit he's a nerd he's got some charisma to him and and i know that you have to like your main um protagonist but it i think it hurt the film storytelling in quite a big way I found it difficult to believe as well. So uh, again, spoiler alert, but when they're on that track and he works out that he needs to reverse in order to um, uh, kind of get to the first key, I don't believe for one second that some pain in the ass gamer hasn't flipped his car around and gone backwards. That's me. Okay, I'm the person who used to play Gran Turismo and drive the wrong way around the track. I can't believe believe for all these years that that has never happened. 
you know, and mm. he's the first one to do it. It doesn't, that didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, you're right. I think too it doesn't, it doesn't tie into like actually, yeah, how, how sort of gamers would, would act and how, I think what it does do is it gives you an awesome visual of then going through the race backwards and everything else. So that type, that makes sense. Again, visually. You can suspend disbelief, yeah. Visually, it's beautiful. It was stunning. And it's such a great sequence as he's underneath the track and you can see the dinosaur being lifted up and you can see King Kong coming in off of that, um, down off the building. And it's amazing. And it's exciting. But it doesn't just didn't do anything it's not great is it no <laughs> you see funny enough for me i actually found the second key to be more bothersome than the first one so i i i'll accept for a moment um that nobody else has ever tried driving backwards uh, which again andy i agree with you it's usually like one of the first things that someone's gonna try oh let's go the other way um but for me the, the second one where they they go inside the shining Oh my good, right. I forgot about this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Visuals stunning. Legitimately scary in the sense that I was like, I am watching a Spielberg film and he's doing this. Obviously forgetting he did Jurassic Park. But I'm like, this is this is a family film, air quotations for those who are not watching. Um but you're being hit with this uh horror scene which they do try and make a little light of it from time to time um, because H's character is like, uh, I've never seen The Shining. Is it scary? It's like, yeah, yeah, this is scary, right? But it's how they come to discover the second key. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the clues and I'm going through their train of thought and I'm like, there is no way on this earth that you got from A to B to C using that line of thinking as like you've missed some massive logical gaps here for the sake of rushing through to get to the second key because by this point it's been a while so for me that was it felt a little rushed it felt a little lazy because again one of the things that i look out for when it comes to uh anything like this at all and, and let's face it this is an indiana jones story they're going on an adventure to find a MacGuffin. this is indiana jones but in in a, in a cg world um they've they've missed masses of logical gaps it's like how did you get to this conclusion and it was at that point mm. i actually started to get drawn out of the story credit obviously to Spielberg because it didn't last very long because as soon as they got past the second key I was straight back in again and I was able to reaccess the film but for me that second key was extremely troublesome to say the least mm. just to and I guess I guess it, it this probably ties back into uh maybe just thinking about kind of that real world side of it I think probably the thing that does seem to add up uh, is the certainly the, the villains and the uh, the the um, IOI I think it is mm. or the, the Sixers as they um, call them, and Ben Mendelssohn as the sleazy corporate stooge who, who I, is amazing. Yeah, and that's where you're like, yeah, this guy, yeah, I can 100% buy that this is the type of guy who is going to be, you know, one of these these corporate guys that you know is owns this company and is is, and that I think maybe. 
when you've got that playing alongside this, you're certainly you've got an antagonist that you can like 100%. I believe that in the future, I, I already I already know. Yeah, Facebook is yeah. listening to me and 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 all that. So you know, I I know it. Right. And but do I do I have a, a choice? I do. I could stop using that stuff. Um, and and so again, that probably again brought me back in where maybe some of those other elements felt a little bit kind of clunky and a little bit too easy to explain. I really liked him when I first saw him. I thought it was Vince McMahon from WWE <laughs> <laughs> because the way he held himself and the way he moved, it was so Vince McMahon like. And and he he is that character. He you know when you see Vince McMahon get more angry and stuff, it, it was him. Uh, so I thought. That, it was him at first obviously it wasn't and thank god um <laughs> I, I do agree and i think there are so many parallels with um reality and i think that's kind of one of the themes of the film the getting you to reflect upon your own media usage mm -hmm. and your reliability or reliance it would be a better word reliance on um the media you consume and you know at the end they do that thing where they take um the oasis this this in-game world they take it offline on a tuesday and a thursday so that people have to access the real world because people being addicted <clears throat> was was becoming such an issue now lovely love that theme think it's wonderful the quote that came with it though was the only thing that's real is reality it's that's uh, the worst <laughs> quote ever <laughs> it's it, terrible it's clunky it's clunky yeah is that from the book Dan? does that actually exist as a quote in a book i couldn't i couldn't tell you it's been a, a little while so i did i did reread it again um ooh, sometime last year i think it was but i i'm not sure you mean um, you, didn't, you didn't read it in like the day that we gave you to prepare for this? No, I, I, <laughs> shocking. I am. I'm very sorry. I'm not a professional. Um, yeah, amateur. Neither are we. Yeah, <laughs> just made that clear. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there probably are some some elements that. Um, just thinking back, just there's some bits and pieces that like I loved from the book that you 100% mm -hmm. know you could do. Like, there's a whole sequence where part of the challenge is that he has to. Um, yeah, is to act the different characters in um, Monty Python's um, Quest for the Holy Grail, um, and 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 it's kind of those little things that you're like, why have they not made a video game where you have to do that and you score more points for doing better act? That's a brilliant idea for a game. Better That's the quotes exact. Yeah, but then and you're like, uh, okay, so how do I do this in a movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. So there were some elements where again, it just it would it works, and you, you take the. You take the the kind of the themes and the what they're they're aiming for, and maybe adjust it slightly um, to 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 fit more with the screen for things that were like, for example, like the the whole section with the first key in the book. Um, he's got to go into this kind of D and D style um, uh, dungeon, this tomb, and it's talking all about the fact that he's he's read the, this D and D module over and over again because Halliday was really into Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, and you're like that's not going to be fun to watch. I don't want to watch a guy look at a manual yeah. and then go through a dungeon perfectly because he knows exactly what's coming. That's, that's in a book. You're like, yeah, that, this is fun. He's, you know, mm -hmm. in a film. No, I want to see some, I want to see some challenge. Um, yeah. uh, what did you guys think of then, I guess being it sort of like a kind of family adventure movie, what did you think about the, the kind of the romantic storyline um, uh, within the film? 
it, at the beginning, I said this was film was a cross between Mrs. Doubtfire and, and something else. It, for me, it just had that family-friendly, inoffensive, you know, nerdy guy wins over nerdy girl and blah, 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 blah. It was weak, but, and you know, this film was clearly pitched at a certain age group. And I think that, you know, there are several different secondary audiences, parents, us, people who are into those sorts of things. But the primary audience is really kind of, I would say, 12 to 17, maybe 18. But I think that, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that these audiences are stupid. I'm not saying that they're not, you know, able to cope with more complex storylines at all but i'm comparing it to my obsession when i was about 14 or 15 with the film cruel intentions do you remember mm. this one? i've seen and, it a couple of times oh i loved that film i absolutely adored it and i watched it a couple of years ago and honestly it's one of the worst films i've ever seen. <laughs> it's dreadful but at the time those you know the characters are dreadful the story is dreadful the, the story doesn't make any sense and but as a kid, I forgave all those things because it was there was clearly something about that film that appealed to me. And I think that's the same with this. I think that as a grown up, as someone who's got life experience, you look at it and you go, oh, whatever, we'll just let it go. But as a kid, you can actually go, oh, that's actually really sweet. That's really nice. And I really like that element of it. Before I put my cards on the table with regards to the storyline i've got just a very quick question sam if you can remember olivia cook's character artemis or samantha depending on whether she's in or out of the oasis um does samantha in the real world have a birthmark in the book or is this a um is this yeah. something created for her no it, yeah she, she does in the book and i think it's one of those classic things as well where the in the book I think it's probably from memory made to be a lot more of a visual kind mm. of uh, standout thing that where you know, and I think in the film it, it certainly is to a certain extent but it is one of those classics like don't look at me I'm so unattractive and it's like no you are not <laughs> you are a very attractive screen presence you know yeah. yes I apologize you if, uh, if, you, if you just heard that as my dog's playing in the background I've uh, got a very, very professional studio here in my front living room. Um, uh, have, you okay, ever seen cool. a, have you ever seen the film She's All That? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Yes. Yeah, it's another one of these goofy teen drama things that came out in the uh, mid-2000s. Um, but in that film, it, this, the story is that she's supposedly this nerdy, ugly, mm. geeky girl, and then by the end of it, she's beautiful. But fact of the film is, she's stunning from the moment you see her. It's rigged from the beginning. Right, and so, but it was just so silly, and it's the same in this. She's a beautiful young lady yeah. the whole way through. Um, and mm. I even think Wade even never really came across as a weak, vulnerable um, person. I think he came across as a real kind of good stand-up moralistic yeah. guy the whole way through. And a bit, I'm not going to say he's, you know, what the kids might consider Justin Bieber or something like that. I'm sorry, that, that, text is outdated. I think, I think you're showing your age now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but, but, but he's a relatively good looking guy. And yeah. I think that, yeah. See, here's, here's, I am by no means a diehard feminist. However, this really stuck out to me. What I, and, it, and I think it's because A, it's a 2018 film. So it's, it's recent. And B, um, a lot of these 
tropes have been done before, but they mm-hmm. are dated and they're tired. And I want people to stop using them. What really got under my skin, and I didn't expect it to, um, was that Wade meets Samantha for the first time uh, in, in the real world. And he's, oh, I'm not disappointed, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine, whatever, you know, I, I can live with that. But she tries to hide her birthmark and the wind blows it out of her face and she tries to hide it again. And then he goes over and he, he basically very lightly cups her chin and starts saying some BS to her. And what got to me was like, this is another example of where the woman doesn't understand her worth until the man shows her what she's worth. I'm like, would you give it a break already? It's 2018 and I am sick of this lazy storytelling. Mm. And that actually unexpectedly really got under my skin. I think that that type of um, relationship dynamic on a main on a film as mainstream as this, Spielberg, hundred and seventy five million dollars, and that's the best you could come up with is some really old uh, "the man will tell you what you're worth" kind of BS today. So, yeah, that's what I think of the storyline. <laughs> a love story, Damien. We've talked about this before about the Bechdel test. Does this yeah. film pass the Bechdel test? Absolutely not. No, not even close. And I think that's a really interesting perspective for a film that is so contemporary to fail it so miserably. It's yeah. not, not great, is it? Although, if you want to... I think it's... I think probably one of the interesting things on that is that it's... I don't know, maybe, again, maybe it's about a demographic thing. Because I, I agree that that jarred with me, that whole kind of like cupping the chin kind of like... Oh. Because I'm like, he's not that cool. No. <laughs> no one, you know, no one, you know, no one is that suave, and this character is not supposed to be that suave. Like, yeah. And and you, and it's you, and but then I think actually, if I was watching that as a teenager, I probably would go, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be that guy that you know. The, and it, but then I think like maybe if you compared it to say something like um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and it's like, and he's just a doofus. And, and he's an absolute doofus. Now he does get the girl and he seems to like have some kind of like, you know, charisma to him, but he says the wrong thing every single time or messes it up. Or, and, and that's, and, and, and I don't know, that's a different kind of movie um, where, and, and, I, and I do get that point of like, you, why should we, we're not going to have movies be translated. If you watch a documentary, if you want to see what people see, say in real life and how they really act, that's true. But yeah, to me, that did jar from a character perspective. I don't know if I read into it as much from like a, a kind of a feminist sort of perspective side of things, but I can see, I can see where, where you would kind of get that sort of reading of it from. Yeah. And I think it's just a classic style over substance because there's a lot of style to this film. But the storytelling, as we've already said, is, is quite light, let's be fair, which is a shame for something that's based on a book. Um, the, the use of um, bad language in this film, uh, every time I heard somebody swear or, or something, I laughed, like genuinely laughed, because it is... It's like when um, I'm at school and I, I've got this, a child who's really angry and they feel like that because I'm having a one-on-one conversation with them outside the classroom, they can use a swear word. And so they use it in a really kind of 
emphasized way. I'm really <laughs> effing angry. And, that, and it felt like that in the film. It felt like these characters were, it wasn't part of the script. It didn't feel natural at all. It felt like they were putting it in there because it was cool. And it, you know, the characters didn't need it. And I don't think the film needed it. And it, that really bugged me. Um, there's, there's one use of the F word um, and it is, it's laughable how forced it is. Well, it's, it's PG-13, isn't it? So they're allowed to use the F-bomb once. But it's almost like... They've been trying to use it, like, in films many times. They've tried to find, like, the most emphasised way of using that one shot that they've got at using the F-bomb. Oh, it, it just didn't need it. It really didn't. Because mm. this isn't a bad film. Um, you know, for all that we're, we're moaning about the story and, and this, that and the other, it's, this film isn't going to change your life. But I'm not going to say that it's a terrible film because of that. Mm. It isn't a terrible film. Um, I, go on. I think, I think the, I wouldn't be surprised if people read the book and said that is, you know, that is just an eye opener to me. That is exactly, you know, what my life was like. Mm -hmm. I get all those references. I love it. And, and, you know, and it's just really made me think about, you know, I don't know what I want to do or something like that, or my worth or my value. Or I'm sure people could come out of that feeling or have kind of like a cult kind of following from it. I think you're right. This, the film is the blockbuster popcorn, not lowest common denominator, but it is, playing broadly um yeah. as uh, probably more so i'd say yeah i'm thinking right the... sorry andy go for it I'd say it's playing safe in, in too many ways it's yeah um i say in too many ways maybe not too many ways but it's, it's just it's a very safe film um i know. think safe is the right word there you're right because even you know it is uh steep in pop culture mm-hmm. but those pop cultural references and, and i think we've, we've just all kind of said it is that in the film those pop cultural references are so broad that even if you are not immersed in you know the 80s 90s cultural references you are going to get a couple of these references so there's going to be something in there for you um because there are some pop culture references that are so ingrained that you don't even have to have been ever seen um back to the future but you know what the back to the future delorean looks like it's like okay anybody's gonna get that or anybody's gonna get that there are some other ones in there um that are a bit more niche and for me when i spotted them i was like oh i know that one it's really cool so yeah there are there are some really good things in there but most of it you're right it's just very broad pop cultural references um I just want to talk quickly about, so after the film, I was so impressed with this video game world. Um, I went and looked at kind of how they put that all together in terms of, was it just motion capture and this, that and the other. And this film has over 11 minutes of credits. I, because I was, I was watching it on my iPad and I was touching the screen to see how long was left. And it said, I can't remember what it was, 22 minutes or something. And then the film finished after about 10. And I was like, what? And so I had a look and then I thought, oh, there must be like a really long sequence after the credits. So I scrolled through and there was nothing. It's just that. And the reason for that is that the team that put this together, it's basically, they had two teams working on it. They had your Spielberg film team Mm -hmm. And they had an entire team of video programmers. This was made by people who make video games. 
And that's really interesting. And one of the best parts about it is, is that Spielberg, for the actors, so I'll, I'll take the Shining um, um, scene for a moment. Um, they took moments from the film, but they also used um, Stanley Kubrick's blueprints for what that building looked like. Nice. And they recreated it digitally so that Steven Spielberg could put his virtual reality headset on and he could literally go and look around the set. And that was really useful for the actors. So they did it in real life and then they captured that within. And so there was a huge amount of development. And I think it's such an interesting way to make a film to actually, rather than just create the visuals that you're, you're going to be telling the story with, to actually create the world, this um, oasis world that these people live in. Fabulous. Really, really good attention to detail there. I've I've heard some some really interesting stuff being done for um, the Mandalorian, the the Star Wars series on on Disney Plus. That they use this this new technology, which is some kind of really advanced kind of hologram, where you can have like a basic a very basic kind of green screen style set, and then you can literally you can put everything in there that is, and so that the actors can see everything that is going to be in the background to the point where I think a a, a Disney exec was there, and they were like guys you don't have budget for set on this what have you done like how have you and they're like it's not real it's not actually there really? so it is crazy oh, some wow. of the stuff and to, to your point what we see is the end result which yeah. is the the shining hotel looks awesome mm -hmm. it looks amazing um and and it kind of adds up to to what you would see in that movie but yeah i think sometimes sometimes seeing the magic behind the scenes is as impressive in, in terms of the way they solve that problem or what they brought to the table that you might say is that extraneous is that really needed well for, for Spielberg yes it was needed yeah I agree I, I I love all the behind the scenes stuff I mean if they still did I know that some people do but if they still did all that behind the scenes stuff on um, like DVDs and the director's mm -hmm. commentaries I used to love all that back in the day uh, but DVDs are swiftly becoming a thing of the past anyway so do you yeah. not think that's a real shame and yes. again we, we talk about um, so for the year 13's exam, they have to be able to look at technology, uh, media technology, and look and almost make predictions on what is going to come next. They need to be able to understand the kind of the development process and what we're likely to have next. And I talk about, um, I have a whole stack of CDs and stuff in my, in my room. And I have, uh, do you remember the Bloodhound Gangs? Um, oh, God. <laughs> you could stop there. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song, but the, that one song <laughs> Bloodhound Gang did that was super famous. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Baby Ain't Nothing But Mammals, that one. That, yeah, that one. Yeah, so I have that as a single on CD. And in that, when you open it up, there's a little slip of card in there that you affix a stamp to. And you write off to their um, fan group, and then the fan group will send you stuff in return, right? Brilliant. And that's amazing. But we don't have that anymore because we have social media to replace that. Yeah. So, okay, fine. We've, we've got that and that's replaced it. DVDs. Where do we now get special features from? Because we don't get it on Netflix. We don't get it on Amazon Prime. We, to a degree... YouTube, I guess. I just don't think it's good enough. I almost feel like that the next thing Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that could do is when you click on a film, it has the making of, director's commentary, you have all of those options because 
that's the gift of a DVD. That is the, the beauty of owning that DVD is having all of those extra things. Mm. I remember, and this is a lame example, but I remember um, the triple X film with Vin Diesel. Love yeah. that film. On the DVD of that film, they had the making of, and that is a cool making of because they did all of those stunts. And that was, mm. I probably watched the making of more than I watched the film. Yeah. I, I think I had the same experience with like the dark the 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 Dark Knight movies and watching the the making of of, of the literally watching the film watching the making of watching the next film watching the making of and just like just being like wow that is so and especially I guess with a, with a director that does everything physically as much as possible I guess that deviates massively from a film like Ready Player One but to 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 your point they did things physically that helped them make the film digitally in the best way they could. And that's, yeah, that's really, but yeah, it is, I don't know, I guess maybe where, the one thing I was going to say actually was to that point, maybe the place that you find that kind of thing now is when, and this is where social media can be really powerful, is when you engage with the creator like one-on-one, right. -on -one. like for example, if you Good say, point. Like back, you back someone on Patreon, and they're like, "I'm going to show you behind the scenes of how I did this, how I made this. I'm going to give you lessons in in the craft that I." And so maybe that's where some of that stuff is going now. Is that actually for you can actually? I was going to say for a premium, but it's not. It's not that you've bought the product and and now I have to buy something else. It's actually mm -hmm. I love the person or I love yeah. that style so much that I I want more and I'm happy to unlock it sort of thing. I, I just feel like that, um, that that's all good and well when you're in a position like us and we know what films we like, we know the directors we like, we know what genres we like. When I was younger, I didn't have that cultural capital. I didn't have that knowledge. And I, I am interested in film. I love film. And I think that my love for film comes from watching those... Um, those um behind the scenes yeah that so i had um the titanic on video right and with the titanic video came as a um a double video and one cassette was the film and on the second cassette was um the making of that is one of i wish i still had it it's one of the best making ofs i've ever seen because that film again when you talk about yeah. making it that world physically making it mm unbelievable that's a really impressive making I, I think the best example out there is of course the lord of the rings how many people take pride and joy out of having watched and owning the extended editions but those extended editions come with hours and hours of behind the scenes and interviews with the cast and the crew and everything and my wife and i love the extended editions and we have i think it's something ridiculous like 15 hours across all three of the films and that's probably just watching them um but we we have sat down and we have watched every single disc to its fullest because we not only get involved in the story and obviously the extended version but all of the extra stuff that goes with it as well and that's only currently possible on dvd i just I, so, I, I feel like there's a generation who are missing out on yeah. on something that was such a, a a massive part of my childhood and maybe it's just me being we're getting old andy yeah maybe i'm being completely <laughs> um nostalgic about it but it was that's what got me into film I, I wouldn't be a teacher of film and media had i not watched those making ofs 
I tell you some things that we can lose from was the point in DVD history when we went from DVDs having no menu and they started exactly just like a video would just mm. start to the point where they discovered that interactive menus could be a feature. And so if oh. you turned on like Harry Potter, you had like at least five minutes of an owl flying and all of the menu <laughs> options floating in. And then you're like, oh, oh, I need to go to the scene selection. That's going to be another five minutes of my life gone while I see some terrible CGI. So no, I, 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 yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah, that I agree with. Yeah. But to that point too, I, and I guess this might be a bit of a spoiler on the recommendation side. Do you think then that Ready Player One is a movie that can be forgiven because as maybe a game nerd, an 80s nerd, a movie nerd, there's enough in there that you just go, wow, that you can forgive maybe some some of the story being a little bit kind of pedestrian or yeah. not quite adding up. I, do. I think so. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And so um, I think that there's enough in this film that it's entertaining. Um, but I think that it's it's shallow and it's really yeah. it's the kind of thing you're just getting your feet wet is all you're doing. It, it's not going to thrill you. It's not going to blow you away. You're not going to walk away from it going, I need to see that film again. But it's worth a watch. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it is entertaining and, you know, because the visuals are really that's cool. I, I got a real kick from all that intertextuality. I really enjoyed it. What um bef before I suppose because yeah. you know we we I suppose I think we're almost ready to wrap up but before we do I just wanted to talk about the end sequence that massive battle at the end um how they bring all the characters together and and I suppose obviously we can speak to the style of it but do you think that we're in a day and age now at this point 2018 where we are seeing these big type blockbuster films always finishing with a massive battle at the end yeah. and 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 i think we have marvel to thank for that a lot um it's like oh you know got to defeat thanos massive battle you got to defeat thanos again massive battle um you've got to you know rise up against it massive battle so w were you guys a bit fatigued by this or do you think it had enough visual style that actually you know what it was still enjoyable today I hate those big battles. I I find them really cumbersome. I find it really boring. I don't because I'm I'm not a big fan of sci-fi, <clears throat> shooting lasers through the sky and stuff like that. I'm just done with it. I don't that doesn't interest me at all. But I didn't actually get bored during this battle scene because it I didn't feel like it went on too long. I felt like it was it was a it, it was fine. It it wasn't thrilling, but it, it was fine. That's not much of a recommendation, is it? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very fine a recommendation. Good, they did a good job of, and I think this probably again ties in with, with the book. They did a good job of sort of upping the ante when it comes to sort of the the kind of the, the giant robots and the giant Godzilla and, and the kind of the battle takes on the, the stakes uh, are raised. It's sometimes it's just like, yeah, like you say, the, the Marvel films. I, I love, I'm a big Marvel fan, currently re-watching them all for that, the third time or something like that. The but there are elements where you're like, oh no, the, the, the end of the world is going to be solved by a fist fight again. Um, <laughs> but but I, and, and I think, the, the, I guess probably what this does have going for it is that, and I was thinking actually, the, the, the after the big battle, 
the moments where Wade is making his way through the final challenge and is speaking to um, uh, the, the creator of the game. I was really stressed at that point because I was just like, if you don't do this quickly, and I knew what was going to happen because I've read the book. I was like, if you don't do this quickly, you need to do this now. Otherwise you're not going to gain control. And so actually I think they did do a good job of kind of just pulling it back into just being one, the, the main character having to go through this and also the, the challenge that he, there's kind of a, a learning element to it or something, you know, he, the, his final quest is something very personal. The final yeah element of it but um yeah I... there was a moment where i thought we were going to go full lord of the rings um when uh they're standing there on the open plain and you hear the rumble of these people coming towards them and i did think for a moment oh my life here we go it's gonna be <laughs> but it wasn't and you know that kind of you know the battles that they i've not watched all of it but um Game of Thrones. They have these yeah. huge battles. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like one episode, one hour long episode is just a battle or something like that. I, I don't know. I've, I've not seen it, but I read about it. And um, I thought we were going to go into that kind of zone. And so I was, I was quite relieved when we, we were back on track with the story after that. It was very quick. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I, I, I'm the same. I didn't get overly bored. Um, <laughs> overly bored. I didn't get bored. Um, I, I felt myself going at some point, but it was at that point where we got straight back on with the story and um, Parzival or Wade, um, he, he finally gets to the end challenge. It's like, well, the battle is pretty much over. I'm like, actually, that was quite nice. That was kind of refreshing to not go through this long, drawn-out battle sequence. Yeah. And maybe something as well that I think plays in its favour is that it is just literally a free-for-all. It is that the yeah. bad guys and the good guys are just, you know, there is no, there is no one is in, there's no strategy. It is literally just, yeah. And I think sometimes that's the challenge because as soon as you, and to, to your point, Andy, I was thinking of the, that episode of, of Game of Thrones and I've seen, I've read a really good, funny like tongue-in-cheek tongue uh, run-through where they treat it as if it's a football game. <laughs> and, they're like, and, and so they're saying like, you know, the, all the mistakes that were made and the referees and all, all some like actually kind of really serious takes on it where they're like, you know, medieval commanders would not use their forces in this way or something, you know. But, um, but because it is literally people like going hell for leather just to, you know, punch as many people as they can, you can forgive it because it's chaotic and, and actually you don't have pick holes in it because I mean, the thing that sprang to mind for me, and I don't know if you guys have seen, Andy, you may not have as not a sci-fi fan, but the film Serenity. Um, oh yes, love that film. Which was the, and there's a, there's a, a battle scene at the end of that where um, it's it's a great sort of double cross situation. The bad guys think they've got the good guys on the ropes, and it's, then suddenly hundreds oh, of spaceships turn up. And I was going to say, I, I, it, is, it <laughs> yeah. is one of my favourite reveals of all time. Yeah. Like yeah. I legitimately got chills down my back when I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. I would love to cover that film someday, but I got chills down my back when they kind of like came through the atmosphere, and I was like. Oh, and, it, and again, it's one of those situations, yeah, where there was, there's like a, a, a sort of, a, I don't know, there's a, there's a plan. This is how this is supposed to play out. Oh, wait a minute, it's not going to play out anything like that at all. And <laughs> I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think this isn't on the same level. But not yeah. close, not even close. Because yeah. it's a video game as well. There's, um, you, 
you allow more to go with it. In video games, anything can happen. You know, you always think Street Fighter, and there was a Street Fighter moment where um, he did it, he went like that, and this thing came out. You know, stuff like that is, you kind of just go, yeah, it's in a video game, of course you can. And I, I quite yeah, liked yeah. that part of it. And so I think the battle scene, where they're flying through the air and doing all this mental stuff. You're just like, well, you know what? I've actually played video games where you can do more mental stuff than that. So yeah, yeah great. Yeah, um, oh, brilliant stuff. Um, and you know, the, the I suppose the final bit rounding the film off was when he does pass the final piece, um, and he talks to the creator at the end. Um, I personally, I did not know what to make of that conversation. I'm like, am I supposed to be inspired? or humbled or am i supposed to find this heartwarming is that i don't really know what they're going for at this point damien the only thing you need to know is that <laughs> you think the only thing that's real is reality oh god <laughs> <laughs> um oh, that whole bit was just uh, oh my life i sat there just going yeah i could fast forward this still know where he's going to end up yeah. yeah, it was it was a classic. It was a classic kind of kids' adventure movie ending, mm -hmm. where the lawyers turn up and it turns out that all they have to do is sign the name because that's all done. Yeah. And I was like, this would not be the way it would be. There would be counterclaims. Those lawyers would be stuck in the courts for months. Yeah. <laughs> Those lawyers could not have looked any more stereotypically like lawyers, could they? <laughs> there are a lot of stereotypes in this film. I mean, you, yeah. you just take you just take Ben Mendelsohn's bad guy. That is a stereotype. Mm. Yeah. I think they, they have to rely on stereotypes oh, because they don't and, do any setup of actual characters. Also, yeah, I was going to say as well, Damien, you might have something to say about the young Asian character that knows martial arts because he's young. And he's <laughs> oh, yeah, Asian. no. Oh, that's, not a, that's not a horrendous stereotype in any way, shape, or form. Because oh, no. as we well know, all Asian people know martial arts. Come on, Spielberg. Mm. I can't remember the name of the theorist. Yeah. There's a, a theorist who looks at um, stereotypes of any ethnicity other than white. I'm trying to remember what his name is now. But the, uh, the, if you're an Asian in a film, you're either good at maths or you're good at martial arts. Yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. and, and you're terrible at driving. That's, yeah. <laughs> those, those are the rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is slightly lazy, and, but this is why I'm glad Sam was here because, uh, you know, do these stereotypes largely come from the book or is this a Spielberg invention? Or uh, I suppose it's not even really a Spielberg invention. Writers was uh, Zach Penn um, and Ernest Cline did the, the screenplay. So, yeah, so Ernest Cline is from the, book. Ernest Cline's the original Yeah, he's author. the original writer. Um, I don't think the stereotypes play through as much in, mm. as they as they do in in the film. Um, I think the characters are a little bit more uh, fuller, um, certainly, and there's there's more made of the kind of the reveal of who H is in the real world um, mm. as well. Uh, there's a lot more kind of awkwardness about that situation. Um, so there is more kind of to it, it does prompt more about kind of what our, our, our online avatars versus who we are in reality. There was the a, funny, paint. Yeah. a funny moment where um, I forget what's the girl's name, the main girl, uh, oh. uh, Artemis. Artemis. Yeah, Artemis is a, her um, her yeah. character's name. She gets picked up in the real world on that converted mail truck. Oh and yeah, gets on and H is sitting there. And he says, oh, so uh, I'm not what you expected me to be. 
and then Artemis gets on and goes, no, no, not really. And that is it. That is yeah. the end of that. There yeah. is no exploring. Mm. Why? Why isn't anyone going, hold on a minute, you're not who you are in the game. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. But this is it. It's again, I've said it before, it's it's style over substance. Mm. But this, yeah, this has literally no substance. This is this yeah. is all this is all uh sweets and sugar and hamburgers there's no steak there's no vegetable sorry for all the cooking analogies i must be hungry but this this is a big old pile of popcorn and that's it there's nothing else to it yeah and there are some things there's some things sorry just uh, from the book as well like where they're not fun in a film but they're amazing fun in a book and and like for example the the in the original the the, it's the main character Wade who is sort of put into that kind of indentured service room, but he he does it purposefully, um, and it's that whole like I've got a plan. It could go completely wrong if one element is not is misplaced. But let me tell you how I'm going to get my way in there and how I'm going to find you know this secret or whatever, um, and that works really well. And that's meaty. And that's just, if you were into science fiction books or you know, young adult fiction, that's where you're like, it's a page turn. I want to know what's going to happen. Whereas I agree, you can watch this once, you can be really impressed, but you're not necessarily going. It's not going to be a, a philosophy for your life sort of thing. Yeah. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, sounds good. So, uh, Sam, as our guest, you can go last. Um, so, Andy, <laughs> as the non sci well, you know, I, I think it's nice that Sam has the the, the Save final. Save the best till last. Yeah. So let, let, let's let's start with the the one of us who doesn't like sci-fi typically. Uh, Andy, what was your overall? Uh, overall, I would say if you are uh, eighteen or above, and you are on your own, I'd probably give it a miss. Um, you you might want to watch it. I, this is really ambiguous. Um, I think if you've got kids who are 10, 11, 12, and you don't mind them hearing the odd, really uh, drawn out swear word, watch this film. It's a really, it's a great film for kids, I think. And it's actually, it's a really inoffensive, really quite enjoyable action film. Um, I don't think the science fiction was, I mean, this is a science fiction film, there's no doubt about that, but it didn't feel so... Um, it felt possible, you, you know. It, it it felt like a future that could exist, and I quite liked that. So I think that if you've got kids and you want to sit down and watch a film, this is a great film to sit down and watch with teenage kids or just pre-teenage kids. I think this is a really good one. But I think if you are mid twenties, mid thirties, and you're going, what's a good film to watch on Amazon? I'm not sure you're going to get much out of this on your own. But I would, uh, so I would recommend it. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I did enjoy it weirdly. Yeah. It's all good. You're the one who's doing the thumbs up and thumbs down graphics, so you get to work <laughs> that one out. <laughs> yeah, right. uh... <laughs> we need a shaky hand kind of graphic. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's fair. Um, okay, so one of the things I appreciated about the marketing, I know that's a weird way to start, is the fact that I think that this is where the marketing and the filmmakers actually got it on point. If you watched the trailers, you knew what you were getting. Um, they didn't try to sell this as a highbrow sci-fi, really deep storytelling, philosophical type thing, which they could have done. There is just enough in here to cut it together to make it look like that. If you are looking for a really upbeat, positive, 
group experience like the cinema or watching with your children, like Andy said, if you don't mind them with the occasional swear word here and there and the one F-bomb. Or if you're watching it with a group of friends who just fancy throwing something on that's going to be really, uh, again, positive and affirming, because, you know, it hits all those really nice cliched beats along the way. The hero wins, gets the girl, the humor at the end, all that jazz, that's all in there. If you are looking for a good time, again, all hamburgers and sweets and nothing else, then I would say, yeah, absolutely go and watch this film. Overall, I would give this a recommend based on the fact that I enjoyed watching it. Whilst it is flawed, it is lazy. <laughs> Sorry, Spielberg. And it is overall more style than substance, which like sweets, I usually can't handle all that much of. I actually found myself really enjoying the time that I spent with this film because there was enough pop culture, there was enough witty humor here and there to get me to engage with it. And if I switch my critical brain off, I actually had a really, really good time watching this film. So yeah, I think I would overall, I would recommend this, yeah. And I think I'd probably echo, um, I think, me, it's always difficult because you think, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it to someone that has exactly the same taste as me. Um, but that's not probably the, the best recommendation. But yeah, I think certainly if you're not into sci-fi, don't bother. If you're not particularly into gaming and, and that, that, those kind of like pop culture references, then a lot of that's going to be going to be lost. However, that said, it's it's, you know, very, very well made. It's a kind of admirable. Um, and I think but in many ways effective adaptation from novel into into a movie um so i think and i think if you again the watching it that watching it as a group the element of it of being able to point out the pop culture references point out the things that you're geeking out about that's yeah. quite a fun um activity to do um so yeah so i would say kind of it's almost a set your phases to dumb <laughs> um, you, it's not going to change. It's not going to change, you know, your your, your life. Um, but I think you're most likely going to enjoy it. And, and so, yeah, I think it would be a recommendation for me. Wow, right. three recommendations. I'm not gonna lie, I was on the fence there for a little bit, mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, just for overall pleasure. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. So, um, Andy, if they want to find out more about us and where we are, where can they find us, my friend? Absolutely. Check us out on Facebook, uh, Parents on Pictures podcast. We have a Facebook page. Get on there. Tell us what you want us to review. Leave us messages. Mostly nice ones, please. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. We're on Instagram. Again, Parents on Pictures podcast. It's easy to find us. Um, and just be part of the, part of the journey. Um, we do have video podcasts. Um, a few of those will be going up next week um and it's just us sitting around so you can see our beardy faces um but that's on youtube parents on pictures podcast um you'll find us nice and easy um and just let us know what you think about it because again this is it's an evolving thing it's uh, an evolution it's not um not fixed and so if you've got any suggestions or anything at all any feedback please let us know Awesome. And if you, uh, like myself, listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously at the moment we are on Spotify and Anchor, and that is uh, Parents on Pictures podcast. 
and uh, soon to be hopefully on iTunes, which would be really cool. Now, obviously, a lot of these places have uh, different ways of either recommending or five stars or four stars or not recommending, etc., etc. If you wouldn't mind going and clicking on whatever the recommending is on Spotify and YouTube and uh, showing the channel a bit of support, that'd be absolutely fantastic. It just helps us small guys get seen above the really big people that are out there. So basically what we're saying is... Uh, help us be possible in a world full of uh ben mendelson's <laughs> sorry ben mendelson it's not a personal dig you just did a really good job in a stereotypical bad guy <laughs> okay sam would you like to say any closing words because you you actually do uh like a, a story thing don't you which is really cool yeah, so um, uh, if, if you want to find uh, some of my writing that I do online, um, you can look up StoryMex, that's S-T-O-R-Y-M-E-C-H-S, and you can find that on Facebook where I do uh, interactive adventures. Certainly, as you won't be surprised, my, my writing is very much inspired by films. There's a lot of culture, cop, sort of pop culture references that are, are dropped in there. And certainly, I'd, I'd like to think, think that the, uh, the the writing is quite cinematic as well. Um, look out for a new story coming in um, in June. Which, uh, interestingly enough, actually, I did put, draw some in for in some inspiration from Ready Player One um, because it is a kind of a bit of a parody of a, a Dungeons and Dragons style adventure. And I did actually steal a few bits and pieces from the uh, Ready Player One book um, to help me get prepared for that, or at least as a jumping off point. Awesome. So, um, yeah, have, look out for that in June. Nice. We have been Parents on Pictures podcast. Thank you for listening. Everybody say bye now. Thanks, guys. Bye.